Well, good morning. It is great to be with you. I missed you over the last few days. Uh, last week, uh, Patrice and I were at a marriage retreat, and they taught us to share everything, so we shared that unfortunate COVID. Uh, but we fulfilled our quarantine. I'm, the way I express it, I'm feeling guiltily great. I feel guiltily great. It was a very mild case for that. We're thankful. But it's great to be with you. I know Tucker did a great job last Sunday morning. It's my honor to share this pulpit with him, and he does, always does a great job. Some of you will not know this name. Others will readily know this name, but uh, Vince Lombardi was a renowned coach at Green Bay for Green Bay Packers, very successful. One time he was being interviewed by Lee Iacocca about how his winning tradition and how how he had come to be so successful. And, th and that interview yielded this quote. Every time a football player goes out to ply his trade, he's got to play from the ground up, from the soles of his feet right up to his head. Every inch of him has to play. Some guys play with their heads, and sure, you need to be smart to be number one in anything you try. But most important, you've got to play with your heart. If you're lucky enough to find a guy with a lot of head and a lot of heart, he's never going to come off the field second. I would call this playing with passion, playing with passion. And I came across this quote as I was searching for an illustration of living with passion. Because I believe it is also true that we need to live with passion in all worthwhile pursuits. And I want to give you a case study this morning. And that is from the Apostle Paul. If there's ever one who lived with passion, it was the Apostle Paul. One aspect of his life, he expressed this on more than one occasion. He desired to go to Rome as a missionary to share the good news of Jesus. In fact, he expressed it writing from Corinth to, the, to Christians in Rome, Romans 1.15. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Other versions have, I am eager. It was on his heart. He wanted to go to Rome. Rome, the seat of the empire, the, the hub of the empire, where millions of people would pass through. And Paul believed, if I can just get to Rome and preach the gospel, it has potential to spread all over the world from, from that central point. So he's eager to go there. And the Apostle Paul does get to go to Rome, but not as a preacher, but as a prisoner. And there's so much to his story about how he arrived in Rome. But I want to ask you to look up Philippians chapter 1 this morning. Philippians chapter 1. I want to see the passion of Paul. But notice what he says, how he summarizes the events that led to his going to Rome. I want you to know, brethren, this is verse 12 of Philippians 1, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance, for the furtherance of the gospel. Notice the phrase, the things which have happened to me. And that covers a lot. But I want to just go back a couple of years prior to this. The things that have happened to me that happened to Paul would include an illegal arrest and imprisonment for two years, an appeal to Caesar, a shipwreck on the way to Rome, three months on the island of Malta, 
And finally, he arrives in Rome, again, not as a preacher, but as a prisoner. The things which have happened to me. But he doesn't spend any more time on that. He doesn't belabor uh, what has happened to him. All he's concerned about is that he's finally able to go to Rome and that he's able to share the good news of Jesus. I like this quote by Warren Wearsby. Paul did not find his joy in ideal circumstances. He found his joy in winning others to Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul was all about. So he arrives in Rome, not perhaps as he had planned initially, but yet he still arrives in Rome. But notice that verse 12 again. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. That idea of furtherance, has a, that word, that phrase has a unique backdrop. It was used for a pioneer cutting his way through the, through the brushwood, making a new way. It had a military context among the Greeks, referring to army engineers who would go before the troops to open up the way into new territory. The things which have happened to me, Paul is saying, have opened up the way for the gospel to be advanced, for the gospel to, to progress. And we'll see to what extent in just a moment. But you see, all these things that the Apostle Paul had endured, his primary concern, I want to share Jesus with others, even if it means being imprisoned. And it brings this question for you and for me today. Are we using our circumstances to magnify Christ? Magnifying Christ is, is the theme for this morning. And here's a statement and a graphic that I found that I appreciated. This is the theme of this message. My life is a magnifying glass for others to look through to see Jesus. I hope we'll internalize that idea. We'll all have this mindset that our lives are magnifying glasses for others to look through to see Jesus. That, was, that would describe Paul's attitude, his mindset, his way of life. And no, we may not can do like the Apostle Paul and travel across the world and share Jesus like he did. But each of us in our part of the world, wherever we go, should have this same mindset, this same mission. That this same realization that we are, we are magnifying glasses for others to look through so that they can see Jesus. So let's focus on the Apostle Paul by, and make application as we do so. But notice some tools that are used by Paul to magnify Christ. And the first tool are his chains, Paul's, Paul's chains. The same God who used Moses' rod, Gideon's pitchers, David's sling, also used Paul's chains in accomplishing the mission. Paul would later be imprisoned and, and would not get out of that imprisonment alive. He'd be executed. But at that second and final imprisonment, he wrote these words to Timothy. He says, I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as, as a criminal, but 
The word of God is not imprisoned. The word of God is not chained. And he had that same mindset with his first imprisonment in Rome. Though he would be chained to a soldier 24 hours a day, probably in shifts, the word of God was not chained. In fact, I've said this to you before, and you've thought of this as well, that, that guard to whom he was chained was a subject to hear the gospel of Jesus. That's a captive audience if I've ever known of one. And so he used those opportunities to share Jesus. Now watch this, back in Philippians 1, verse 12, but leading into verse 13. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, New King James wording, and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. To what extent had the gospel become known in Rome? Paul says, my chains have led to the furtherance of the gospel so that even the whole palace guard, or your Bible may translate it, the whole imperial guard, they know that my chains are in Christ. They know that I am a prisoner, not of Rome, but I'm, I'm a prisoner of Rome, but due to the cause of Christ. I am in prison because I'm preaching Jesus. So Paul, as he looked at these chains, these literal chains that were binding him to this Roman guard, he realizes these chains have given him contact with the lost. The whole palace guard, the whole praetorian guard, New American Standard Version. This was the elite Roman troops these elite soldiers were the finest regiment in the Roman army and the troops which formed the imperial guard of Rome. This is the upper echelon of these Roman soldiers. And Paul is saying, because my chains in Christ, even the gospel is known among them and to all the rest, he says. Let's make application. Do you feel chained in some way? Do you feel chained in some way? Are there circumstances that you're experiencing which cause you to feel, well, I, you say, I'm a magnifying glass for Jesus, for others to look through to see Jesus? Absolutely. Well, I'm so limited. My, my, my magnifying glass must seem so small because of my circumstances. What would Paul say to that? Paul would say, I'm a prisoner. I can't go around through the streets of Rome and, and share Jesus, but... But I can talk to this person right next to me. And I can write letters to encourage Christians all over the world. The Apostle Paul would say to our, our response of, well, I feel confined or I feel like I have chains. Use those chains, whatever they are, to be a magnifying glass for Jesus. Paul's chains not only gave him contact with the lost... Notice as we read on, Paul's chains also gave courage to the saved. Verse 14, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So here were fellow Christians. They were concerned about the Apostle Paul. He's, he's, the, he's the missionary. He's the pioneer for the spread of the gospel of Jesus. But now he's chained. He's a, he's a Roman prisoner. 
And so they're concerned for him. But they see the Apostle Paul continuing to be about his mission. And they receive these letters from him. These prison epistles, we call them. He's still at work. He's still sharing Jesus. He's still encouraging Christians. And because of that, most of the brethren were emboldened by that. Well, if he can do that in that circumstance, what's my excuse? What can I be doing to magnify Christ in, in my corner of the world? There was a, an early critic of Christianity. Celsus was his name. He wrote, leather dressers, woodworkers, cobblers, the most illiterate and vulgar of mankind are zealous preachers of the gospel. He intended that to be a criticism of Christianity, but his criticism was actually praise. Because what he was identifying were there were Christians of all walks of life, and even what he would style as vulgar walks of life, that were using their opportunities to share Jesus with other people. In fact, Avon Malone wrote this, The counter of the merchant, the desk of the tax collector, the plow handles of the farmer were their pulpits. This word that's used about speaking, they were more emboldened to speak, is not the word for proclaiming God's word as a preacher, but speaking it, sharing it, in everyday conversation. And so there were many Christians who were emboldened to, to just share their faith across the counter of the store or, or wherever, the, the plow handles of the, of the farming implements. They were emboldened to share Jesus because of Paul. Unfortunately, not everybody was a fan of Paul. But as another tool that Paul used to magnify Christ were his critics. Keep reading with me. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some from goodwill. The former, those who preach from envy and strife, preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. Isn't, isn't that sad? There were some brethren that saw the Apostle Paul and his predicament, his chains, and instead of emboldening, emboldening them to preach the gospel more boldly, they felt like Paul was getting a greater following than they, and so they, they start preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. And the idea is they're canvassing for office. They want to gain more followers, so they're trying to detract from Paul's magnification of Christ and try to magnify their own efforts. Isn't that sad? But that was happening. Some out of envy and strife were preaching Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. They're trying to make it worse for me, Paul says. But the latter, those who preach Christ from goodwill, they do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What's his response then? There's a mixture of reaction to Paul being in prison. It's emboldening a lot of Christians to, to share Christ in their circumstances. But some are preaching Christ from, from ulterior and evil motives as far as the Apostle Paul. What's his response? Verse 18. And watch his attitude shine through. What then? 
Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Paul is saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that if some of the motives for preaching Christ are not good and some are out of love, as they should be, just that Christ is preached. You see, for the Apostle Paul, he's saying it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about what I have to suffer for the cause of Christ. It's all about the message of Jesus being shared with those around me. And so some do it from different motives. That doesn't matter to me. Only that Christ is preached. Isn't that a marvelous attitude? Isn't that the right attitude? But is that our attitude? Notice another tool that Paul uses to magnify Christ, and that is Paul's crisis. I want to jump down with you to verse 22. Here's this, we're calling it a crisis. Here's something that Paul is thinking about and and not knowing exactly how it's going to turn out. Verse 22, but if I live on in the flesh, if I keep living, in other words, this will, not mean, this will mean fruit from my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh, to keep on living, is more needful for you. Here's his crisis. He's in prison. His trial hasn't come up yet. We'll see that he has a good idea. Perhaps God had revealed it to him the outcome of this first imprisonment. But here he's contemplating these two possibilities. One is that I'll be acquitted and I'll keep on living and serving Christ while I live. The other is I may be executed. But all that will mean is I will depart and be with Christ. And I love these, this, that phrase, which is far better. It's far better. You talk about a win-win. That's the, that's the way the Apostle Paul views his circumstances. If I keep on living, I'll just keep on serving. I can keep on ministering to you. But if I die, I'm only going to depart and be with Christ. And that's a far better option. That's his crisis. But keep reading with me, verse 25. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my, by my coming to you again. Again, Paul is confident that he's going to be acquitted, that he's going to keep on living and therefore keep on serving. Now go back with me to verse 19. He underscores this. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of, of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. What's important to you, Paul? Is it important to you about the outcome of of your trial? Is it important to you that you may not get out of here alive? Is it that important to you that you be delivered, acquitted, and be able to continue to serve? Here's his answer. 
as always. So now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Whether I live or whether I die, I want Christ to be magnified. Magnification. You might think of a microscope that makes small things appear big. That's not the picture here. Think in terms of a telescope that makes very large things. You see more detail of those large things. You can't get anything larger than Christ. Paul says, I just want to be a magnifying glass or a telescope to make Christ even more vivid so that people can see him more clearly through, through my life. In life or in death, I want Christ to be magnified. Verse 21, you know this passage. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, to go on living, it's still going to be about Jesus. It's still going to be about magnifying Jesus in my life by sharing the good news with others and by encouraging Christians. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is Gain. Again, to die would only mean for the Apostle Paul, well, I'm going to be with Jesus for an eternity. Malty Babcock is credited with this statement, life is what we're alive to. What are you alive to today? What keeps your blood going? What gets you excited today? The Apostle Paul would say, I'm alive to Jesus. That's what keeps my blood going. That's what keeps keeps my resolve um, in line. I want to serve Jesus. I want to magnify Jesus with my whole being. So again, the theme is my life is a magnifying glass for others to look through to see Jesus. Even though we're not the Apostle Paul, if you're a follower of Jesus, that statement should should be the manifesto of all of our lives that we want to be good magnifying glasses for others to see Jesus more clearly so how do we magnify Christ I'll leave you with five things to take home with us to be better magnifiers of Jesus number one to magnify Christ it means to minimize self just like Paul it, it's not about me even to the point where he was able to say, if there are others that are preaching Christ, even from impure motives, the fact is that Christ is preached and that people are following Jesus, that's what's most important. It's not about me. And to magnify Jesus in our lives, we've got to take self out of the picture, selfish interests, and be devoted only to magnifying Jesus. That's why we're pursuing this theme all year. For 2023, less of me in 2023. We must, to magnify Christ, we must minimize self. Number two, we must be mission-minded. This idea of magnifying Christ has to, we have to carry it with us wherever we are. When we're at home, we need to magnify Christ. When we're talking with our neighbors, interacting with our neighbors, we need to be thinking about how can I magnify Christ. When we go to work, when we go to school, wherever we are, when we're at the grocery store, when we're on the road, uh-oh, when we're on the road, 
And people are cutting in and out. How can I magnify Christ? Okay, how many toes are hurting now? But that we need, we got to be mission-minded. That wherever I am, I'm a magnifying glass. And I want others to be able to look through me and see Jesus. Number three, that means we maximize our opportunities. No matter how insignificant we may think they are. Just the ability to speak to someone at Chick-fil-A. To, to speak to a neighbor. You just let your mind carry you into all the opportunities that we have day in and day out. That we're going to maximize those opportunities to magnify Jesus. Number four, it means that we're also going to monitor ourselves. We want to be a good magnification. We want to make sure our, our glass is as clean as it possibly can be. So to help keep our magnifying glass clean and, and able to magnify Christ better, here's a prayer I think we need to pray continually. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If we continually pray that prayer, our magnifying glass is going to be a lot cleaner. And as we go about and maximize our, oppor our opportunities, as we monitor ourselves, here's a question I think we'll be asking continually. With what I'm about to say, with what I'm about to do, will it magnify Jesus? That goes way beyond, is this the right or the wrong thing to do? There may not be a matter of right and wrong. It may be a matter of, is, will this magnify Jesus by my saying it or my doing it? It's a greater, a deeper question than just the rightness or wrongness of it. Will this magnify Jesus? And it will also bring about in, in, our, in our lives... It'll convict us when we made the wrong decision. When we said or did something that we realized after the fact, now that wasn't a good representation. That made the, the, my magnifying glass pretty dark and hard to see through. It'll convict us and it'll cause us to, to ask for forgiveness. Ask forgiveness of God, but also ask forgiveness of those whom we may have offended. Because we want to be good magnifying glasses. We want to be good telescopes. So we're going to need to monitor ourselves and prayerfully ask for forgiveness when, when needed. But fifthly and most importantly, we want to mimic Jesus or imitate Jesus. He is our example. He is the goal Everything Jesus was to the Apostle Paul, he is to us. He was the beginning of the, of the Apostle Paul's life, spiritually speaking. He was the goal. He was the mission. And everything that could be said about the Apostle Paul's view of Jesus could be said of ours. We want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, 1 Peter 2, 21. 1 John 2, verse 6 says, He who abides in him ought also to walk just as he walked. 
If you, if you say you're, you're a Christian, if you say you're walking with Jesus, then our walk should be similar to Jesus' walk. We need to imitate Jesus. He is our supreme example. He's the one that we want to follow. And with that kind of mindset, with God's help, people will be able to look through us, the magnifying glasses, and see Jesus more clearly. Why was it so important for Paul to say, I want to magnify Christ whether I live or whether I die? Why is it so important for us to embrace that mindset for our lives today? Because Jesus is the Savior of the world. Because Jesus is the Lord. Because Jesus is the, is the Redeemer. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. And so whatever pursuits we may have in life, that should be pursuit number one. We want to magnify Jesus. So that others may see Him more clearly. And seeing Him more clearly, follow Him all the way to heaven. Wouldn't the Apostle Paul say, if someone were to say to, to Jesus on Judgment Day, I have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and therefore ready to enter the gates of heaven because the Apostle Paul taught me about Jesus. The Apostle Paul's response would be, would it not? I thank God that I had the opportunity to magnify Christ for that individual. But it's not about me. It's about that individual being able to see Jesus more clearly. Clearly enough to follow him as a way of life. Have you seen Jesus? Are you ready to surrender your life in obedience to his will? If we... Are, if you are ready to take those initial steps of faith, you're ready to confess Jesus before this assembly, having turned from sin and repentance and ready to be baptized into Christ so your sins can be washed away by His blood, we hope and pray that you'll make those steps uh, today. And that begins our walk with, with Jesus. And then, then we have this purpose of being a magnifying glass for others to see Jesus more clearly. And it may be that if we, as we have done some self-examination, we recognize I haven't been a good magnifying class. There are things in my life that are causing that magnification to be blurred. And I need the cleansing blood of Jesus to be applied to my life this morning. And if that's the prayer of your heart, we want to pray with you and for you to that end. Or if you have something else that's just weighing down in your, in your life that you need the prayerful support of this church family. We'd love to pray with you and for you. And won't you come right now as we stand and sing.